hey, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Well, last week we saw uh, an example of faith like we have never seen. I mean, we, we saw how Abraham, who was in a good faith place, Anyway, and then all of a sudden you have this test, and it was a test that was like none other, I don't think. But to watch him believe and trust and obey, even though it made no sense, even though it was horrific, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I mean, that's just just hard to comprehend. But that we watched him do it. We watched him obey and do it. And we know that testings are something that God needs to do to us to make sure that we have the kind of faith that we attest to, that we proclaim with our mouths. He's just going to make sure. He has to see and reveal to us. He, I mean, he can see. He knows what kind of faith we have, but he reveals to us what kind of faith. And sometimes we're surprised. We think we've had more, but how we act in a certain situation, sometimes it is an eye-opener. But we saw that Abraham was just in such a good place of trusting the Lord. And now, as we move to this lesson tonight, you can see that, yes, he, he has been a great example to his, his servants. And, you know, he's had a lot happen in his life, and it says he's now advanced, he's old, and he's well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. That phrase caught me, because the Lord blessed him in every way, and yet we know what he's just come from. He's come from losing his precious Sarah, who we said last week, I mean, you think about what they have gone through together. And then you also know what the kind of test he went through and, you know, what that must have done to him. And so he's been through a lot. And, you know, I know some of his mistakes have caused a lot of um, consequences. But yet he has been tested. He's, the Lord has really kind of gone over him good to get him to where he has to be. And so yet, you, you know that he's old now, he's advanced in years, and yet to know that the, that the Lord has blessed him in every way. Because sometimes, I really believe this, and when you get to this age, I think you kind of look back in your life and you think, when did I grow the most? When did the Lord become so close to me? When did I feel his presence so much? And generally, in the most difficult of times, and so, you know, God knows, like we said, how hot to get the fire and how long we should be in the fire and all that. But it's a blessing. And blessing isn't always materialistic, material things. Blessing, when God blesses. I think it's blessing is like when we can sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Or when we can sing, um, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that was taught me to say it as well with my soul. It's when you can sing these songs and know that they're true and that you, you've experienced it. And, and Ephesians 1, when he blesses us with every, with every blessing from the heavenly realms, like the words are salvation and, and redemption and grace and I mean, so many beautiful words in Ephesians 1 where Paul says, you've been blessed. So when it says that the Lord has blessed Abraham, he's gone through a lot, but the Lord was by his side every step of the way. And now, and now we know that um, Isaac is, he's, he's 40 years old, and, and now it's time for him to have a wife and I have to say, I've never seen Abraham quite so emphatic about an instruction. I mean, he knows that he can't do this traveling, but he sends his highly honored and highly responsible and loved servant. He's, he probably has been through so much with Abraham. And from another passage in the story of Abraham, it's known that this servant's name is Eliezer. So I might call him servant, I might call him Eliezer, but just know they're the same man. But it said that he said to this chief servant, 
I mean, he has worked himself to that higher place. He said to his chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, this is what he said to him, put your hand under my thigh. Now, what did you do when you read that? I thought, oh, I don't know. I mean, that sounds a little weird to me. That sounds a little crazy. But, you know, I read on it, and, you know, I, what I read, well, I don't even... I don't really even want to go into it, really, because um, it will sound a little sexy. Or, but, but it all has to do with circumcision and the covenant promise and all that kind of thing. Just take my word for it that, that when, when, God's, when, when God um, had Abraham um, pick a son for Isaac, Abraham knew that it was going to be a very serious thing. And so whenever in the culture that Abraham had with his people, when he would ask them to put their hand on his thigh or under my thigh, this, all you really need to know, all I really need to know is that this was a very serious and, and a very solemn oath. In other words, I really mean it. This is serious, and you have got to promise me. And rightly so. And you're going you're gonna to see that there were many details that he wanted to make sure that the servant understood and followed. So he said, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but you go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Again, instructions. No nonsense. Um, no question about what it means. I mean, he says, well, I am not going to have Isaac marry a woman from the Canaanite. Because remember, Canaan is still a very paganistic you know, atmosphere, and the Canaanites are still, you know, evil and and not part of this covenant promise. And he wants to be separate from that. And yet, God is. This is where I want you to be. I want because this land is eventually going to be yours. So he said to his servant, "I want you to go to that." place where I've come from, where my family is, and this is where I want you to get a wife for my son Isaac. Well, the servant then asked him in verse 8, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Right away, you know, the servant, Eliezer, is, is very, he's thinking, he's thinking, and he's very much concerned with, you know, I might go there. And I might find a wonderful gal that's perfect for him. But, you know, that's a big ask to ask him to come and, and live in, in this Canaanite-infested land. So he knew this was going to be a big question and wonder if she says, I don't want to go back there. And so then he said, then shall I take your son back to the country that you came. How about that? I mean, again, thinking it through, if she doesn't come here, how about then if I come home and get Isaac and then bring him there? Because I'm so sure that this is the woman God wants for Isaac. But look at the way Abraham comes back in verse 6. Make sure that you do not take my son back there. Again, no question. He's firm. No. And don't you wonder, I mean, why doesn't he want Isaac to go back to that, to that area? And I mean, I think it, it would be logical, but sometimes God's plan isn't logical. And God knows that this land is going to be Abraham and his descendants. And because of human nature, wonder if Isaac got over there and didn't want to come back. And so it's very clear that Abraham knows exactly what he wants Isaac to do, where he wants Isaac to be, because as this promise continues, he knows he's getting advanced in the years, but he's going to make sure that Isaac is not tempted to go back. Isaac never left Cain, 
But that was the way Abraham wanted it because he knew what God had promised. So he doesn't even give Isaac a chance to go back there. Very clear. He's very clear. It goes on in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. You know, that was very clear. And then he comes back, though, and understands his servant's point of view because the servant is thinking, yeah, but I wonder if she doesn't come back. I mean, I'm, I'm in between a rock and a hard place here. And so then Abraham says, damn, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. So he made it very clear, okay, easier if it doesn't go as, as we planned. If she, does, if she says no, then just take comfort in knowing that that's, that's okay, then you're released. Because he's feeling such a sense of responsibility. This is a big ask. This is a big task that he's doing for his master. So, only do not take my son back there. He, he puts that in there. He, he just, okay, you're not held to it, but one thing you can't do, excuse me, one thing you can't do is make sure that, that he does not go back there. He reiterates. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So, okay, we, we've done all what is instructed. The word is out. The, the instructions are clear. And the oath is given. So... Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. Now, I just got curious this week. I, I just thought about, you know, how far is this? You know, from Canaan to his, his, Abraham's brother's area, how far, you know, is this? 10, 20 miles. I don't know if this is going to take a day or two. I really didn't know, so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out. And I don't know if you looked it up, but I was flabbergasted. 900 miles. 900 miles. It was going to be that big a trip. Now, when I first heard that it was 900 miles, I thought, boy, this is going to take forever. Because I, I kind of pictured him riding a donkey or, or, or uh, you know, walking or whatever. And 900 miles, can't even fathom. So then I read this. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels. And at first, I just kind of thought, well, he probably had, you know, things backpacks to put on there and things like that. So that you pack that on camel. But then I thought, you know, 900 miles. And you took 10 camels. So I did a little study on camels. And, I, and it really helped because it makes perfect sense. Let me tell you what I found. Now, you know, we think we know. But did you know that camels were as smart as an 8-year-old child? They have the intellect of an eight-year-old child. They are a smart animal. Now, we know about the humps, and we know that they can go a long way without water. They can go up to 100 miles in the desert without, without water. They can run 40 miles an hour like a racehorse. Now, that I know. That I saw with my own eyes. When, when Jed and Jody lived in Israel, and I, and I was by their apartment, I was standing there on the, in the front of their apartment. I was looking into the old city, and all of a sudden, I saw this camel. Now, I don't know about you, but I used to see camels just kind of plodding along, you know. But all of a sudden, I see this camel just flying. So I know that they can run like a racehorse, because that's exactly what this camel looked like. So they can run very fast. They can travel up to 80 to 120 miles a day. Then it started making sense. I thought he takes 10 
strong, big camels along, he can go up to 100, 120 miles a day. Now, that, that makes logic sense. And then you don't have to have one camel and overuse it. You know, you got 10 camels. He probably used a different camel every day, and I think that's what got him there. Well, I know, and also, he, he did carry some things with him, but, but yet that interesting little study about camels helped me to understand this whole picture. Now, so after he got there, he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. The reason why it's called the town of Nahor is because Nahor was, he was quite an... Uh, well, from from at least what makes sense is that you know from what we learned last week is that he had quite uh, he had he had a lot of why he had a lot of women um, he had a lot of sons he was probably kind of an important man in the town and so to identify this town they would say the town of Nahor you know where you you know Nahor well that's the town so that's why his name was also the town name. He had the camels kneel down, so he arrived to his destination. 900 miles. He arrived to his destination. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the, t the time the women go out to draw water. Did that bug you at all? Because that is not an easy job. The more I looked up and saw what what it took for for the women to to feed camels to flip to to water herds, it was no simple task. And I'm thinking, come on, guys, you know. And especially in the evening, and in the evening, the time the women would go out and water and draw water, it was a hard job. But apparently, that's the way it was. Then he prayed. So everything is in place. He's where he's got to be. The, the camels are all resting. They're all laying down. The, it's, it's to the time now where the women come. I mean, it's just timed perfectly. Now he prays. I mean, he has followed his master's instruction to the letter. And before he goes a step further, before he even begins this process, this big responsibility, he makes sure that he prays. And look how he prays. Oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham. This is where I think Abraham and Sarah did such a bang-up job. Teaching and exemplifying, being mentors, proving who God is. They've watched their lives. They've watched the ups and the downs. I mean, I bet Eliezer even, I mean, went through Sarah's death, went through the testing. I bet, I bet he's seen so much, and he's watched Abraham trust his God. And so he is praying to his master's God. And I, and I truly believe it's out of respect because I think he knows, he knows this God just like Abraham. I think it is his God as well. But he says, oh, Lord, God of my master, give me success today. I mean, you can't be in this position and not make a move without praying first and not really knowing who God is. That's why I'm sure that he really did believe in this God, and he did not want to make the next step. He said, show kindness to my master Abraham. He says, see, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. So everything is set. May it be that when I say to a girl, Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for my servant, for your servant, Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. That's quite a request. I mean, we call it fleece. He kind of laid a fleece out there. He kind of... He, Added, he 
asked this request of the Lord. And as remarkable and as amazing and as miraculous as this request was, it was really quite practical. You know, there have been sometimes, you know, you can hear, well, rain fire from heaven, or would you please send some kind of note that I will know exactly which woman. No, he didn't say anything like that. He used the instance. He used the the actual what's happening here and, and just put it in such a practical way. They're coming now. Um, could it be that? That I, that I, when I ask for a drink, and then she says, and I will water your camels too. Did you notice that Eliezer did not, in his request, didn't say, and oh, may she just be a knockout for Isaac. You know, nothing, nothing on the beautiful, nothing outward was in his request at all. He was going after, I want somebody with substance, with character. And, and that word character in this lesson is so important because we're talking about your character represents what your heart condition is like. We know that the character that we want is, is the character of Jesus, which is the ninth fruit of God's spirit coming out of us. And, and it's so easy sometimes to be able to say the talk and quote the verses and... and um, you know, know our church vocabulary, but, you know, he's saying, I want a girl that not only says it, but she does it, that she's got some, she's got some heart, she's got some compassion. I want her inside to be right for Isaac. I just thought that was so good. He went after her heart more than outward beauty. That's what he asked for. So, now, before he had even finished praying, before he even said amen, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. And she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful. See, he doesn't know this yet. But before he even said amen, God was already working this young woman toward him so that she would be the one that, that he would ask for a drink. I mean, you just watch how God is working in all people involved here. Not just for the servant. Not just for Isaac. Not just for, not just for um, Rebecca. Not just, I mean, everybody he is getting in, in, in place, in position. And so it's kind of like we read, this girl is the one because she is from the right family, and this girl was very beautiful. Oh, I found out that there's not that many times that, that they're called beautiful, very beautiful. I'm sure there are many beautiful women in the Bible, but this, these times, these times, um, there was, these women must have been really gorgeous. And it was Sarah... Rebecca, Rachel, Abigail, Bathsheba, Tamar, Queen Vashti, Esther, and the daughters of Job. They were the ones that were described beautiful. I found a verse in Isaiah 65, 24, that the Lord has Isaiah write. And it pertains to this so much because the Lord says, before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. It's like the Lord knows what we're going to say before we even say it. He knows what our heart cry is before we even cry it. I think that's such a, um, a remembering verse that we should always, we should always know that, that he is one step ahead of us. He knows our heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're saying before we even say it. So, okay, now we go on. It said, she was very beautiful. She was a virgin. No man had even lain with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. And as, as Eliezer was watching her, because I think he started watching her right away. As soon as he said amen, and there she was, and he started watching her character. And, he, and I think there was probably something about her, not just a beautiful face, but I think there was something in her eyes, too. Something, that expression on her face that just had joy. 
There was something about her that he could see from the inside out that she, she was the woman. Because look, he hurried to meet her. He hurried to meet her. And he said, please, give me a little water from your jar. And then verse 18, drink, my Lord. See, again, look at her character. Look at her respect. She doesn't know this man. This man probably doesn't even smell that good. He's been 900 miles on camels for who knows how long. You know, he's probably, you know, he's, he's tired. He's, you know, you just wonder what she's thinking. This is a stranger. And she comes back with, drink, my Lord, with such respect and, and said, and quickly lowered the jar to her, to her hands and gave him a drink. He was watching her mannerisms. Did you read that? She said, drink, my Lord. And as she said, drink, my Lord, she, all, she quickly lowered her jar to her hands and gave him a drink. He was watching that gesture. He was watching her face. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they are finished drinking. I mean, that was a lot of water. You got 10 big camels who can hold that kind of water that they can go that long. She has had to go back to that well and draw a lot. This is work. And she did it with such ease, with such compassion, with such a servant's heart. She quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all the camels. Verse 21, without saying a word, the man watched her closely. Now, when I first read those words, without saying a word, the man watched her. I'm thinking, couldn't you help her? I mean, this this poor girl is running back and forth, back and forth, and, and you're just you're just watching her closely, but then it goes on to say why. Whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So the reason why he was watching her is watching everything about her and he watched her closely to to learn whether or not, whether or not this was the right one. Now when the camels had finished drinking, and I don't know how long it took, but I'm sure it took a while, and after all of these details came to flourish and so perfectly, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a bika, and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Now, when I first read that, too, I thought, now, those are details. I wonder why the Lord wants us to know that. I mean, you know, obviously, he's going to give her a gift or whatever, but we, we know that this gold nose ring weighs a bika. And we also know that these two gold bracelets weigh 10 shekels. And I, I looked it up, and I found out that, that this was very valuable jewelry. I mean, it's volumes. It not only showed his generosity, but it also showed that where he came from and what he's requesting, um, he comes from great wealth. I mean, so it doesn't take much for these people to put two and two together and realize that, that this is a sign of generosity, but also a sign of wealth. And then he asked, Okay, so now the, the request was granted. You know, the fleece, everything he asked in the fleece came perfectly, came out perfectly. Then he asked, because it's step two now. You know, she's got to be from this right family. So this is step two. Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And her answer, I'm sure he was astounded. When she answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, Lord to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. So not only is she from the right family, she is also just welcoming him with no questions. We have plenty of room for you. 
this is everything. I'm thinking about what he must have felt now compared to when he left with his 10 camels. I mean, that was such a major responsibility and request. And now, if he, if he hasn't learned that God will guide, if you ask, God will guide. Now, then a man bowed down. Then the man bowed down. Because I wondered, when everything came so, together so perfectly, I thought, I wonder how he reacted. That was in my mind. And then here comes verse 26. Well, that's how he reacted. Then the man bowed down. I knew he had to be relieved. But he bows down, and he worships the Lord. And look what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. He never takes any credit. He doesn't ever mention himself, saying, boy, I was really lucky here. What a coincidence that this all just came together. I think those are two words that we should really start getting out of our vocabulary. Because when you watch God lead and guide and you're willing to follow, you can't help but be amazed at what he can and what he will do. And it is not, it has nothing to do with luck. It has nothing to do with coincidence. And you see Eliezer here. You see him making sure that when he proclaims he's in awe of what just happened and there is no way that he can take any credit for it. He just followed instructions. And then he goes on and he says, as for me, the Lord has led me. The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. So he is amazed. Now in verse 28, it says, the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. So I thought about that too. I wondered, okay, she, she took off and ran. Now why did she run? My first inkling was she ran because, you know, maybe this is all happening. All of a sudden he's putting this gold nose ring and giving her these bracelets and, and you know, he's saying all these things and you know, he's bound down, and, and she probably is thinking, whoa, what's all, you know, what's all happening here? Maybe she's a little nervous. Is he making a pass at me? I mean, yeah, I don't know what's going through her mind. I'm thinking that maybe did she run because she, I have to tell my mom about this. Maybe she didn't feel safe. That's all human nature thinking because there isn't a doubt in my mind that she was, she was not nervous. She was not scared of this man. I think that's the logical thing, you know. But when you know your God and when, when he is getting all things ready and he's working in all the people's hearts, he's getting everything working according to his will to make it happen. She ran. She ran and told her mom because I think, I think because... I mean, look at what, what the servant has seen in her already. Look at her beautiful character. Look at her compassion and her, her servant attitude. Her respect for authority. Her, just her willingness to do hard work for someone else. It reminded me of the song that we were, we were going to sing tonight. and It's so true. I will serve thee because I love thee because you have given life to me. And, you know, she didn't understand all the, all the points yet, but I think she already feels in her heart that this is going to be a life-changing event for her. I, I really believe she thinks that things are not going to be the same after this. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. Now, she was excited, and she's telling the story. And, 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 and to watch all these things come to every detail, it says that now she is telling this to her brother also, and his name is Laban. And he hurried out to the man at the spring, 
And as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, remember last week how I kind of dared venture out and say that that last part of the chapter was such a comparison between the two brothers. You know how Abraham, the Lord really had to work on Abraham, and he's had a tough kind of life. I mean, the Lord blessed him in every way, but yet he did not have an easy life. I mean, he's living in this tent, probably a luxurious tent, but he's still on the move. He's living in Canaanite-ville. You know, so, you know, all these things, and he's following God's instructions, and this, this isn't what he planned when he and Sarah were in error in their middle age. But God took one look at those two brothers, Abraham and Nahor, and he could see that Abraham had the heart that was pliable that he could work with. And he did. Now Nahor, he could see his. He could, he could see that Nahor was pretty much all about Nahor. And, and because of that kind of raising his family and that kind of concubines and all that kind of worldly, me, myself, and I kind of attitude, you, you better know that your children are watching that as well. And Laban... You know, maybe I'm being a little sarcastic, and maybe, you know, I, maybe I have seen too much in my days, but I just kind of looked at his attitude, and the first thing that he saw was what? That nose ring and those bracelets. And he's saying, I think we can do some big business here. I think we can do some wheeling and dealing here. Now, yes, he does come and say, these words, because, you know, obviously after he saw the bracelets on his sister's arms and he heard Rebecca tell what the man said, he went out to the man, found him standing by the camels near the spring, and he said, come, you are blessed by the Lord. And you say, well, you know, how can you be so sarcastic? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe he does know the Lord, but don't you know, don't you know that there's so many people sitting religiously in church in that, but they can so easily say the words, but then they live a whole different kind of life outside. You know, even though Abraham and Naor, they were raised the same, they were raised the same, but one really grabs a hold of it and clings to it, and another one can learn the church words and learn all the religiosity that needs to be said at the right time to make him look good. But his heart hasn't changed. His behavior, this whole thing about, about character, what kind of character do we have? We saw in Rebecca, she was real. She was the real deal. This is what the servant looked at. He could see from her eyes, from her face, from her demeanor, from her obedience, from from she she just had she just had real. Her relationship with the Lord was so real and it just showed itself in every area. To me that is the highest compliment. The highest compliment is when someone says, "You are transparent. You are real." You know, it's it's really true, you know, and then maybe from my past, I see Laban in a whole different light because I think he's a rascal. And we're going to see, for, as we study more into this story, you're going to see that he's he's a trickery. He he tricks, he deceives, he, he is big business. It's all for what he can get, for what he can achieve, what he can gain. I mean, we kind of, you know, going ahead... You know, I've gone ahead and I have seen and watched his character. And it was altogether different than his sister's. So I don't think I'm being too too hard on I'm, and too sarcastic. I think I, re I really think that he is different. So he can have the right church words. He can say, come, you are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing out there? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. I still think he's rubbing his hands together saying, I can, I can use this. This is going to be good. So the man went in the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, water for him, and his men to wash their feet. 
Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. I mean, he had to have been tired. He had to wanted to, to clean up. He was probably hungry. And he was given all those necessities placed before him. And I'm sure it would have been so easy to just go after it all and take care of yourself. But instead he says, no, no, I'm not going to eat until I have told you what I have to say. He wanted to make sure that there was no question on why he was there. So then Laban said, well, then tell us. Then tell us. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. He has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants, maid servants, camels, donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman does not come? Wonder if she doesn't come back with me. And he replied, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you. Make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath. Even if they refuse to give her to you, you will be released from my oath. Boy, he's making sure that Laban hears all the details. When he came to the spring, he said, when I came to the spring that day, today, he said, Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will please grant success to the, to the journey on which I have come, See, I am standing beside the spring. If a maid comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finish praying, see, I think he was even so amazed by that too, and he just had to add that to the story. This is how God works. He said, before I even said amen, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring, drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, I will water your camels too. So I, so I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milka bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And I bowed down, and I worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother of his, of his, for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. It's like, yes or no, just level with me, so I may know which way to turn. So the whole story, I read it in its entirety. He made sure that Laban heard. See, I think Laban is in charge of the clan. Laban, I don't know whether Nahor is no longer alive. I don't know. It doesn't say, but it does say that Laban is pretty much in charge. And the more that I just thought about that, I, I thought about there was a time in my life when I sang it so many different places, so many different kinds of places. And I, I mean, I, there would be nothing to, to sing in front of the Supreme Court justice and then to then sing at a mission or a, or a special needs. Or, you know, you can sing at a crystal cathedral and then go to one of the, those little churches out in Paw Paw. I mean, we just went from one extreme to the other. And I can remember a time when, when I, I had to come to that point where I was just getting so confused because I thought that I had to act and, and sing and do and be. And so when I, was this, when I was with this kind of people, but then I then had to act or sing or do or look different to these kind of people. And all of a sudden, the Lord made it so clear. And I think this is what I saw, not, not that I really felt that I, that I was phony, but, 
but yet I thought I had to be different, a different person for different people. And in fact, I even had this one time where I got asked to, this is how the conversation went. They called me and said, we were wondering if you would lead a Bible study, and it will be a unique one. It's kind of a, it will be a kind of a special group. It's just for the wealthy. That's what I was asked. That's no kidding. That's what I was asked. And I said to them, I said, well, well, why, why can't you combine that one with this one? Because it was in that area. Why can't we just do one, one nice size one here? And their answer was, well, we, we just don't relate well. We just don't do well. We're... And that's when I really started thinking about this. And I thought, you know, are we different to different people? Are we, do we say things to, to, you know, because this is what they want to hear. But then when I get down to, you know, the mission, then I better really change my, my, my whole way of thinking or the way I act or the way I sing or the songs. And I'm sure you can figure out there was no way I was going to say yes to that. There is no, no such thing. And I said to her, I said, yeah, but we all stand at the cross the same way. We all come to Jesus the same way. And so I, I just can't see it. But I also then got thinking about how come I have to change according to different events. I mean, I mean I'm just going to tell you this, just, this is how one, one time this happened. We were on tour in California, sang in the morning, sang at night, and in church, big church called Paramount, Emmanuel Paramount. And when I got done singing, then Tom took the equipment and he drove it back to where we stayed in, in Los Angeles some, somewhere <clears throat> on, a dairy, on a dairy farm. And then, and then um, I then had a friend take me to LAX airport. And I, I flew from LAX to um, Reno, and somebody was in Reno there to pick me up to take me to sing Monday morning in Lake Tahoe. And so I sang in Lake Tahoe, and as soon as I got done singing, then some took me back to the airport and then flew me back. I flew back to LAX, and then I had a friend bring me to where I was going to sing back on Monday night, and there was Tom all set up, ready to go. Now that was just from Sunday night to Monday night. And there was... And to tell you the truth, the month, here I am in a, a Sunday night church, a regular church, and then Monday morning I'm with a whole bunch of people to do um, some big rally for in, in Lake Tahoe, and then I'm back, and then I'm at a place for special needs on Monday night. Just extraordinary different people. And I don't know whether it was that instance or what, but it just started dawning on me. I just want to be real everywhere I go. And if the message of Christ is the reason why I'm doing this, then why do I have to change? Because the message is the same for everybody. And between that Bible study invitation and all these, these experiences that I was having right then, it just showed me that uh, what we should want to be is wherever we go with whatever kind of people or, or where, who, with who, that if we're just real, that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to try to be, that when we just show our character, our character, which is Jesus himself, then that will fit in any instance. All that just flooded me this week when I was kind of studying Laban. And I thought, it's so easy to, to say the right thing to the right people at the right time, thinking, well, that's what we need to do. And then we've got to think about, okay, because there are so many times on tour. I remember one time I said, oh, it's so good to be in Walla Walla, Wisconsin. And I was in Walla Walla, Washington. I forget what state I'm in. Sometimes you just had to think, okay, now where am I? And it was just getting to be, you know, okay, what kind of people? Are they, are, they the, are they Dutch? Are they, you know, you just, what kind of denomination? Or what kind of, what kind of service is this? And I thought, you know, I can't do this. But all of this came to a head for me. 
because this is what I looked at Lima and I thought, you know, you got all the right talk down. You can quote the words and say, oh, come, you're blessed in the Lord. But I'm thinking, I look at your character. I look at how you act and how, how under, underneath the table you are, and we'll see more of that. And I'm thinking, yeah, but Linnell, you went through that same thing. You had to finally get to the place where, hey, no matter where I am, you got a problem with Jesus, then you're going to have a problem with me. Other than that, but being real, Tom and I were talking about that this afternoon. I don't think there's anything that, that we should strive more, more for than to just know that that old phrase, what you see is what you get. And that you don't have to feel the pressure of acting or being. No, but you, are, you belong. You are a child of the king. Your goal is to make sure people know Jesus. Your goal is to make sure that they love his word and that they listen and they obey. And that's straight across the board. So anyway, because this is what kind of bugged me. It was all set. It was all, because look, it said in verse 30, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her. Go. Let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. I mean, after he told the story, it was hard for them to deny that this wasn't this was far more than coincidence or lucky. So they agreed. You bet. Take her. So when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. He bowed down because I'm sure he thought, this all worked out. This, is, this just worked out perfectly. And it sounded like such an impossibility. And so then the servant, it said, when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver and jewelry and or articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. And he also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. And I thought, oh, I bet they were standing there with their hands out. I just had that feeling. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. See, then, then he... He kind of let, let himself down so that he and his men ate and drank and spent the night. When he got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. I bet he popped out of, out of bed thinking, oh, this is such a relief. This worked out so wonderful. We are going on our way. I bet he, I bet he was ready to go at the crack of dawn. Verse 55, but her brother and her mother replied, ah, I don't know. Let the girl remain with us 10 days or so. Then you may go. It's like during the night, they started thinking, I don't know, we're sending her away. We're sending her to Canaanite territory. We're just letting her go. Um, I don't know what they were thinking. They were just saying, no, I think we better cool our jets. I think we better just wait. Let's just... And I'll tell you, this is what I really appreciated about the servant. It kind of reminded me of Abraham. When Abimelech, remember when Abraham had this little piece of land and he, and he dug his well? And that, that was hard work. And a well was very important to a group of people. And it was Abraham's. And all of a sudden, the servant of Abimelech came and just took over and claimed it as his. And... Remember how we watched Abraham go right to Abimelech, and, and he just stood up. I mean, he, he, his anger didn't take over. He, his tone was proper. I mean, he, he chose his words right, but he stood up for what was right. And sometimes I think we think that as Christians, we can't stand up for what's right, and I think we, we've gotten too, too wishy-washy. If we know that it's the truth, if we know it's of the Lord, if we know it's his word, then we should be brave to stand up. And this is where Eliezer just stood up to them and said, hey, wait a minute. Do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go back to my master. There's nothing more to think about. Last night, you were all for it. 
You know, maybe logic, you know, a mother and a brother is saying, oh, maybe I jumped a little too quick. I, you know, this is a big step. You know, maybe all well and good, but this is why the servant made sure that he told every detail of the story. So there'd be no question who was involved in it all. And then to all of a sudden put the halt on it. I don't know what went through my mind too is were they holding her thinking, well, if we say that, maybe he'll give us more stuff. Maybe, you know, maybe we can get more out of him here. I don't know, but I don't believe it was good. Because the night before, when they heard the whole story, then they admitted. I'm kind of wondering too, what's, what's going on with Rebecca? Well, we see right now, but, but I mean, at the time, you know, maybe is she hearing them argue, like, no, we better wait 10, 10 days or whatever, and then she hears the servant saying, hey, no, we, this, this has been settled. And, and you wonder, you know, does, does she feel like she's just being tossed around? I don't think so. I think the way she answered, I think, again, the servant knew, I think, she knew that the Lord was working. Her character just reached out because when they said, well, let's ask her. Let's call the girl and ask her. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with the man? I mean, there is no, there's no hesitation, no question. I will go, she said. And she said it so firmly. It wasn't, well, you know, you got a point. You know, this is a big move. Or maybe I should think about it. There wasn't any of that. When God guides and he's working with all parties involved, I mean, last week was really an eye-opener for me. I forgot that when I'm going through a difficult time of suffering that my children are watching to see how I'm handling it. Remember that where, where we saw how, you know, um, Abraham was told that, that, that because of your obedience, the Lord said, because of your obedience to me, all nations will be blessed because of you. It just kind of reminds me that, see, when, when maybe you or me, when we go through something personal, personal suffering, just like with this story, there are far more people involved in here. I had a girl this morning that said this story really related to her because she's got a, she's got a daughter who... who um, is second guessing. There's a wonderful man that, that wants to marry her, and she's starting to, to falter, and yet he's the best for her. And she was telling me this whole story, and she says, I've got to let the Lord guide. I've got the Lord guide. And I said to her, I said, but look, look how many parties are involved. She said, yeah, that's right, me, because the Lord's working on me, learning how to stay out of it and letting him work this out. Letting them make their own choices. And it was, it was just it's so true. You've got one story, but you've got many parties involved in the Lord's work and in it all. And so when you see Rebecca, the Lord's already gotten her heart ready. And she doesn't hesitate. I will go. Okay, what can they say? So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, oh, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man so that the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac, don't you wonder what, what's going on in her mind? I mean, she's going to go 900 miles. She's leaving all that's familiar, all what she knows, she hops on this camel, and she is ready to take off to a new adventure. Now, in the meantime, look at here. Look how God's working in Isaac, getting him ready. Now, Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. See, he's in the right frame of mind. He he is he is seeking the Lord's will. He probably I mean obviously he knows that his dad has sent his chief servant to find him a wife. And he's given strict instructions that Isaac can't go there, that he's got to stay put. I mean, this takes a lot, but I'm sure he's saying, I gotta pray about this. 
I got to make sure that I am in the right frame of mind, that my heart, that my character is right, because this, this is major. So he went out in the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, see, look at timing. As he looked up, the camels were approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my, he is my master, the servant answered. Now again, look at this beautiful act of her character. She took her veil and covered herself. And by covering herself, that was, that was, that was her way because whenever a woman covered her face, it was, um, it was a symbol of chastity, modesty, and submission. So she is covering her face. I mean, she, she is all, she's beautiful, she's, she's a virgin, you know, she's chastity, she is submissive. She is surrendering. Now, isn't this, this is what we learned about Abraham last week. You can't do things like this unless you are sure of your God, that you have faith in him. Sometimes I wonder, why, why don't I walk more by faith and I need more sight instead of just walking by faith? And this is what he's trying to teach us. You can't do the impossible. You can't do things like this unless you are walking with the one who can give you what it, give, can give you what it takes. So she took that veil, she covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Now, I don't know what she was doing. I mean, she is just probably standing there listening, and she's, her face is covered. And, but, but Eliezer has to tell him all the details. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebecca. So... I don't know how much time transpired. Doesn't sound like much. But when God is in the middle of it all, I think, love at first sight, I think so. I believe that he saw in her, he saw his character, or he saw God's character. He saw the beautiful character of Rebecca. I think he saw her character before she unveiled her face and he saw her beauty. I think that it's so precious to think that when it says that Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, can you imagine how close those two were? I mean, that Sarah wanted a baby all her life, and then at 90, she finally gets to hold her own child. And so for the years that they had, can you imagine how close they were? And so when she passed away, what a void that was. What a hole in her heart. What a hole in his heart. How often do we lose someone and we think, oh, man, I just I don't, don't think I can go on. I mean, the loss, the loneliness, the, the emptiness that that person had in my life, and I'll never be the same, that hole. Can anybody feel it? And this, just, this sweet love story should just prove again that we can put our next foot in front of us. We can move forward. Because the Lord has a way, and it would be different for everybody probably, but he has a way of filling that hole if we just keep moving forward with him. Because look at it. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Boy, so sweet. And how the Lord, probably the main thing in this whole lesson was how God can take difficult pieces and put them all together and then we see a story like this. Not lucky, not coincidental. But another final thing that I really wanted to see because there's so much of Isaac and Jesus and, you know, um, there's, there's so much of that comparison. But when I, I, I saw what um, uh, Spurgeon I just like him so much. And he said, um, he made me think, and he said in this chapter, the word master is said 22 times. And how this servant just represents us so much in the way we should, we should have our relationship with the Lord. He said, he didn't, the servant never aspired independence. 
I mean, he could have, you know, he could have taken off. But you know how we learned um, weeks ago about, you know, sometimes when a family was down and out and, and, and they, they were out of money, they were out of land, and their family was destitute, and maybe a wealthy family would come and take this family in. You know, this was, it wasn't slaves, but it, this wealthy family was given them a chance for life. They became servants, but it, but it was a way of, of letting them survive. And then so often when they were free to go, they didn't go because they had developed such a bond with this family. And this is exactly, very much so, what happened to Eliezer. And maybe he had his whole family. I don't know. But he sure did develop a bond with Abraham that he wasn't his own. And this is what Spurgeon went on to say. He didn't aspire any independence. His praise was always for his master, his deeds on behalf of his master. He was not his own, and he was perfectly fine with that. In fact, that's the way he wanted it. He was a bond servant of someone else. That was his position. And I thought, boy, when you put it that way, isn't that our position? That we too can say we don't aspire to our own independence. We do not praise ourselves. That our deeds, whatever our servant's action, is not for praise for us, but we serve him because we love him, because he has given life to us. I was nothing before you found me, and now you've given life to me. Heartache, broken pieces, ruined lives, that's why you came. You know, those songs just kind of come back. And then, like I said before, the longer I serve him, the sweeter it grows. That you, you develop this servant attitude because you are a bond servant. You are his servant. And that should be our position. And we should love that position. We should want no other position. I think Eliezer was very much a picture in this lesson of what Jesus wants us to see, what he wants us to be in our love for our master and our willingness to live our life accordingly. Heavenly Father, thank you again for taking this sweet story. But yet, it just shows faith and obedience and worship and praise, realizing that any good and perfect gift that we have, it only comes from you. And that you are, you are able to do through us the impossible, but that we never see it as something we've attained, but that you have gifted us with. Father, may we look at that title, bond servant, and see that that is exactly what we want. You are our father, we are your child, you are our savior. We're the sinners saved by grace. But I'm going to add bond servant because, Lord, we, we want that kind of attitude that we love you so much. We're so grateful for what you've done that the more that we serve you, the sweeter it gets. But look what you can do through people like Eliezer, like us, if we're just willing to let you be our master. And we pray this all in Jesus' precious name, who makes life so worth living. Amen.